0: You know, when it comes to God's will for our lives, that whole subject seems to generate a lot of questions. What am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? What job am I supposed to work at? What person am I supposed to marry? Who am I supposed to ask out on a date? Is it even God's will for me to date? What is my major supposed to be? Is this the job God wants me to stay in for the next five years, ten years? What am I supposed to do tomorrow? Am I supposed to buy this house? Are we supposed to rent a house? Are we supposed to spend money on this or spend money on that? I mean, God's will creates a lot of questions in our lives, right? I mean, wouldn't it be a lot easier if we had somebody just come alongside us that we knew, cared about us, that knew a lot about our lives, and they could actually say to us, hey, this is God's will for your life. And they would be right, and we could trust them, and we could just know. I mean, have you ever found yourself thinking things like, God, if you just write it in the sky when I look to the clouds today, then I'd know. Have you ever asked the Lord, man, Lord, it'd just be really a lot easier if you'd written down some things, sent me a letter. Lord, could you just help me? I mean, do you feel, do you have those thoughts? Do you ever thought about God's will that way? I hope I'm not alone here. I mean, it's a, it's a hard thing. It creates a lot of questions. And I think for, for every one of us in this room as followers of Christ and even Those of you that may be here that not decided whether or not you want to follow Christ, you have these questions about what does God want? What is he doing? What's going on with my life? Why is this happening in my life this way right now? What is God's will? I love love the letter to the Thessalonians because Paul is addressing the issue of how they're supposed to live their lives as they wait for Jesus to return, which is about God's will for their lives. In fact, in the passage we're going to read in just a moment, in First Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to actually hear the term God's will for your life. And I'd love you to read along with me as we read through that passage. It's on page 160 if you're reading out of the Pew Bible. And, and don't get fooled, page 160 does not... You know, it doesn't work out if you start at the front like you should. I really want to get new pew Bibles because these things are confusing. If you go to 100 page 60 in the Old Testament, you're going to be like in, I don't know, Leviticus or something, which is not First Thessalonians. If you go to page 160 in the New Testament, you'll actually be in First Thessalonians. Well, if you don't really know what's going on there, the pagination, you're going to be wondering what is... He's talking about, and so if you go to the back of the Bible, whatever page number is in the back, then start looking for page 160, you'll have a better chance of getting to 1 Thessalonians if you're using the Pew Bible, and after I've did all of that, you probably don't want to use the Pew Bible, so <laughs> I'll read the passage for us, and you can follow along as I read. First Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're just going to read the first two verses in the first part of verse 3, because Paul is going to address the issue of God's will for your life. And I, I really think as we read through this today, you're going to be sitting there thinking, man, this is so good. Because I have questions about God's will for my life all the time. And somebody's actually written something down and helped me know about God's will for my life. I just want you to be reminded that when God inspired Paul to write What we're going to read to the Thessalonians, this little church in this little town called Thessalonica. He wrote it in such a way that it would be preserved so that we would sit here on a day like this and read this and hear God's words to us. So, So God's speaking to us this morning about his will for our lives right now. So let's read it together. Finally, thus, uh, finally, then, brothers, we ask you, and we encourage you in the Lord, that just as you receive from us how it is necessary for you to walk and to please God, just as you are currently walking, do so even more. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, I am a, a destination type person. Okay, so early in our married life, we would plan to go on a little vacation, a little trip to get away. And uh, I was all about the destination. So I would map out the route I'd figure out how many miles it is to we need to fill up, how many miles it is to the destination. I'd have a time frame in mind, and everything about getting in the car and going was about sticking to and actually beating you know, my anticipated time frame. I'm all about the destination. Anybody else here like that? We see some confessions here, okay, good, yeah. Okay, Lindley, it, I mean, you already know what's coming, right? Lindley is more the journey type person. So we're driving along and she sees this little interesting, what I would say, waste of time junk place. (laughs) She would say, just another treasure waiting to be found. She said, let's stop there. I'd be like... If we stop there, we can't take the next bathroom break, all right? You have to go because if you do, we're not stopping there. We're going to stop at the bathroom place and we get gas. We've got to get everything done at one time. If it had gas and a bathroom and antiques, we'd be in good shape, but they don't. So we're not stopping there, you know, whatever. So we would stop and then when she starts shopping, get distracted by this and that, I'd be sitting there going, you're never going to make it. We'd have conversation, get back in the car about we're, we're behind schedule. She's like, "What schedule? What do we have to be there for? Well, I just planned that we would be there at this time. We'd make this kind of good time. We'd make this kind of gas mileage. We'd have this kind of... Why? Because we're going there. You know, and it's just this conflict that happened between a journey type of person and a destination type. Anybody else married here where you have that kind of opposite going on? Journey? Yes, some of you. Okay, we can talk afterwards. Do some counseling together and share our woes. Because it, it is a challenge, isn't it? Well, I have to admit to you that I have, I have grown through the years and uh, I have become a little bit more like a journey type of person. Now, I'm still a destination person. Okay, don't get me wrong. But here's what I've tried to do over the years. And the link could tell you, I'm not perfect at this, but I've made some steps forward. All right, so here's what I'm trying to do. I've tried to make sure That my view of the destination does not erase all possibilities of joy in the journey. Are you with me? So so, when we make these periodic stops along the way, I've tried to figure out a way to make that a part of what I perceive the destination to be. This is a part of the whole package and my view of the destination is not supposed to so skew the view of the journey that I lose sight of the joy that can be experienced in the journey. You see where I'm going with this? When you think about sanctification. God's will for you is your sanctification. You know what sanctification is? It's a journey. In, in its simplest definition, It's a journey. Now, in the Christian life, we have a destination, don't we? The destination is Jesus' return and everything made perfect and everything that's wrong made right. And this body that has been just racked with sin and failure made right. And my relationship with the Lord that has been so much a part of Dealing with my sin is now gonna be totally perfect because now I get to know the Lord in perfection. You know, we have this destination when Jesus Christ returns and makes everything right and those who have trusted in him get to enjoy him in a perfect relationship forever. That's our destination, right? And what makes that destination so wonderful and so hopeful is the reality of knowing Christ perfectly, That's what makes that destination so hopeful, so preferable, is we get to know Jesus in perfection forever, everything right forever, beyond imagination. But here we are in a journey. Do you ever get to the place in your walk with Christ where you just feel frustrated because you've messed up again. Maybe i would ask it this way. Have you ever gotten to a place where you weren't frustrated about the fact that you messed up again? I mean, here we are on this journey and and we know we're falling short. We, We know we're not what we want to be. We are not what God has made us to be. We have fallen short and we keep having to struggle with sin. And you know what happens? If we begin to view this destination of knowing Christ perfectly in such a way that it erases every opportunity of enjoying the journey, then we've misunderstood God's will for our lives. See, God's will for our life is our sanctification. And that in and of itself implies a journey of discovering that I am not yet perfect, that I am not yet arrived at the place of knowing God perfectly, that I am still in a position of discovering things about me that are not pleasing to God, that I've not yet been fully redeemed, that I'm in a journey. So I want you to think about viewing the destination in such a way that it brings great joy to the journey, because really that's what we're supposed to experience. If God's will for my life is my sanctification, this journey of becoming more like Christ, because I'm walking with Christ, if that's God's will for my life, for me to be every day submitting who I am, what I think, what I believe, the attitudes of my life to the lordship of Christ more and more for the rest of my life. If God's will for me is sanctification, a daily journey of just laying everything that I am and hope to be before God and saying, I want you to rule and guide my life more today than you did yesterday. If God's will for my life is my sanctification, this journey, that is good and right and meant to be full of joy and pleasure and excitement and adventure and fulfillment and satisfaction. But how do you, how do you have that perspective of the journey when it is filled with imperfection? Well, what makes the destination so preferable is the reality that we'll know Jesus perfectly. What makes the journey so enjoyable is knowing Jesus in spite of our imperfection. We get to spend every day of the life God grants us knowing him in spite of our imperfection so that we are attached to the hope of knowing Him in perfection. That's sanctification. A journey of knowing the Lord in the midst of imperfection and brokenness. Knowing that one day, the glimpses and the tastes of this relationship with the Lord we have in the journey is going to be beyond our imagination when it is granted to us in perfection. God's will for your life is sanctification. What does that mean? Every day, getting to know Jesus a little better than you did the day before so that everything in your life that's a threat to your relationship with Jesus is less of a threat to your relationship with Jesus. That's exactly what Paul is addressing here when he says God's will is for your, for your life is your sanctification. And then he goes into a detail regarding their sanctification of sexual immorality. See, sexual immorality is a threat to the relationship with the Lord. One of the most severe threats we face in our day and time to the relationship that God has given us with himself through Jesus Christ. And Paul begins to address that particular issue because it is a threat to relationship and he wants them to be sanctified in this area so the relationship with the Lord is increasing until the day he returns to take them home forever. Sanctification, God's will for your life, is to walk with him in such a way that the things that threaten your relationship with him are minimized and your relationship with him increases toward the day he returns to take you home. And that is joy in the journey. I want you to read through this passage with me again. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read all the way to verse 8 this time. So we're going to bring in all of the information about sexual immorality. And you're going to hear some pointed things about sexual immorality. And I understand that Sexuality and sexual purity is a sensitive subject. I'm going to do the best I can to deal with it in a gracious manner, but we are not going to avoid what the Word of God is saying. We're going to deal with it. Before we start to walk through the specifics of that, what I want you to do is read through these eight verses with me and listen for the emphases on relationship, okay? Paul is emphasizing the relationship the Thessalonians have with the Lord because that is the context of sanctification. You you cannot understand this idea of sanctification outside of relationship. Are you gonna miss it altogether? All right? So listen as we read through these eight verses again and listen for the emphasis on relationship. All right, here we go. Finally, thus, brothers, we ask you and encourage you in the Lord Jesus. Did you catch the first term of relationship? Brothers, did you you see that? He's using a familial, a family term with people who are not blood related because they've been brought into a family through the blood of Christ where God is the father of that family. do you catch the relationship? So he says, brothers, relationship. We ask you, we encourage you in the Lord. There's relationship again. So that just as you receive from us how it is necessary for you to walk and to please God, there's relationship walking and pleasing with God. Just as you are currently walking so that you might do so even more. You know The commands which we gave to you through the Lord Jesus. How do they know these commands? Because of Jesus Christ. He died for them. He rose again from the dead. He ascended to the Father. He sent His Spirit. And these people have now brought God's commands to them because of God's plan and will for them to know Him. Relationship. They know these commands through the Lord Jesus. Verse 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you would know how to control his own body in sanctification and honor, not in passionate lust, just as also the Gentiles who do not know God. You hear it? These guys are acting like they don't know God. You guys should act like you do know God because you know God. Again, relationship. Verse 6. And do not transgress or exploit your brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger concerning all these things. Just as we told you before and solemnly warn you. For God did not call us, there's a relationship again, a calling from God, in impurity, but in sanctification. Therefore, the one who rejects these things is not rejecting man, but rejecting God. You hear that relationship there? You're rejecting God, who has given you his Holy Spirit. God has given you his Holy Spirit so that you might have his presence with you, so you might never be separated from him, so that you might know what it looks like to walk with God in such a way that every threat to your relationship with God is minimized and your relationship with the Lord is increasing until the day he returns. You hear that relationship, it's emphasized throughout the passage because the thing that you've got to focus on, if you're going to focus on God's will for your life as he has communicated it to you, is your relationship with the Lord, removing the things in your life that are a threat to your relationship with the Lord, sanctification, the journey, knowing God in your imperfection more and more every day for the rest of your life. It's about your relationship with the Lord. What is God's will for you? To know and walk with the Lord every day, more and more for the rest of your lives. Because what makes heaven heaven is knowing the Lord in perfection. What makes the journey worth it is knowing the Lord in the midst of imperfection. You know, whenever I have questions about God's will, it really boils down to one or two things. Either, number one, I'm not doing the things that I know are God's will. And really, really confused or upset or frustrated about what I don't know. And if I knew, it would make everything better but the real problem is not what I don't know. The real problem is what I do know and am not doing. You see, God has come alongside us with his Holy Spirit. He has written a letter to us and he has told us what he wants us to know about his will. You know what he told us? My will for you is to know me and to know me more and more every day for the rest of your life by minimizing the things in your life that are a threat to knowing me. See, I'm convinced that if we will simply focus on the things that we do know, the things that we don't know that we think we need to know will fall into place. You know, the other thing about God's will I've discovered, one is it's often the problem is that I'm not doing what I already know God's will is. The other thing is that when I don't know God's will for my life in some area and I'm really striving to do what He has told me to do, the reason I don't know it is because He hasn't told me. And if He hasn't told me, I'm not supposed to know yet. And if I'm not supposed to know yet, Should I be worried about that? No. If we will just do what God has told us to do, if we will just do God's will as he has revealed it to us, we don't have to worry about what we don't know because of who we know. See, God's will for your life is sanctification. And one of the biggest threats, obviously, with the Thessalonians was sexual immorality. I don't think I have to convince you that that's a threat for us today here in Abilene. It's no less a threat than it was for them in Thessalonica. It's an area that we should focus in on and pay attention to what Scripture says. And I want to encourage you in this matter. I do want to address one textual issue really quick. Verse 4, the very first part of that phrase there, you're going to see in your translations, depending on what translation you're using, whether you're using New American Standard New International Version, uh, the Holman Christian Version, the King James Version, whatever version you're using, um, you're going to see that phrase translated a little bit differently. And there are two basic possibilities for translating that. One is you need to, you need to be careful about how you go about getting married. That's one of those obtaining or possessing your vessel One of the ways to understand that is, is the pursuit of marriage. You need to do that in sanctification and honor. Again, that's coming under the banner of sexual immorality. Abstain from sexual immorality. Pursue a spouse in a sexually pure way. All right, the other option here is that you need to make sure that you control your own body in sanctification and honor. Now, the way I've translated that as I've read this to you from the text here is that you are to control your body in sanctification and honor. The reason that I've landed on that translation is because contextually, the evidence here rests on a translation that is more encompassing than just pursuing one's spouse. The idea here is we are to abstain from sexual immorality and to control ourselves, and certainly under that umbrella would be how you pursue a spouse. And so I've just chosen the translation that is a broader translation that grabs all of abstaining from sexual immorality, which I think is reflected in the text. Either way you translate it, it doesn't change the emphasis of the passage. The emphasis of the passage is to abstain from sexual immorality. Specifically, this is an area that threatens your relationship with the Lord. You ought to protect your relationship with the Lord by making sure you abstain from this threat. Because this is God's will for your life, your sanctification. So if you're thinking about sanctification, specifically as it relates to sexual immorality, I want to give you some thoughts from this passage I think are really encouraging. The first one comes out of verse 6. Notice in verse 6, he says, do not transgress or step on your brother. Do not exploit your brother in this matter. When it comes to sexual immorality, and and this is specifically dealing now with the issue of adultery in verse 6. but When it comes to sexual immorality, you need to make sure you're not exploiting or stepping on your brother. Well, how are you going to avoid that? Well, the only way you can exploit or take advantage of or transgress or step on your brother in this way is if you're hiding something from your brother. So if you want to know what uh, sexual purity looks like in sanctification, don't ever hide anything from your brother. Bring everything to the light expose the temptation and the darkness and the sexual matter that you're involved in or that you're tempted to be involved in. Expose it to a community of believers who understands what it means to be forgiven by Jesus Christ. Bring it to the light. The only way you can avoid defrauding your brother in in the matter of sexual purity is make sure you don't have anything hidden from your brother. So men, grab a few men that you can talk to about this in your life. You can say, hey, I'm struggling with this temptation, I'm dealing with this, I've stepped into this immorality, I've flirted with this impurity, I'm not okay here in the area of sanctification in regard to sexual purity, and I just need to talk to somebody, I need to bring it into the light so it's not hidden anymore, because only time you can go to the point of defrauding or or exploiting your brother is if you keep it hidden, and that's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. I cannot tell you the number of guys that have told me things like this. I stepped into sexual impurity and I knew way before I went to that point of no return that I should have told somebody and I never said a word about it. I thought I could handle it on my own. And guess what happened? They couldn't. They needed to bring it into the light. Don't ever hide anything from your brother's men. Don't ever hide anything from your sister's women. Put yourself in a position where you're talking about what's happening in your life in the area of sexual purity. The second thing is from the same verse. It's from the second part of that verse, verse 6. He says, the Lord is the avenger regarding these things. This is in the area of specifically sexual immorality that surfaces as adultery. And here the Bible tells us, the Lord tells us, he is the avenger in these matters. God will bring his vengeance upon those who are following Christ and sacrifice the fellowship they have with Christ for the sake of their sexual pleasure. He will be the avenger of the one who steps into adultery. What does that mean? I don't know, but I know this. We don't want to go there. You do not want to step into a place in life where God is now the avenger on you for what you did. And that's exactly what this Bible says. It says in the matters of sexual immorality that surfaces adultery, God is the avenger. Wait a minute, I thought that God was loving and forgiving and you sound really mean right now when you talk about God. He is so loving and so forgiving. And there is no sin that he will not forgive. None. But every time the Bible talks about sexual immorality, you know what the Bible does not do? It does not give any implication that God's mercy and grace give you a free pass. Every place that sexual immorality is discussed in scripture, you hear warning after warning after warning, damage after damage. Death and destruction after death and destruction, an inability to remove your shame, an inability to restore yourself. I mean, there's all kinds of warnings here in Scripture about what sexual immorality can do to your life. Why? Because it is so severing to your relationship with God that was bought with the blood of Jesus, and God does not want you to go through that. And so he warns you again and again and again that we might be awakened to the grace that is found in the warnings that we'd stay away from sexual immorality and stay close to Jesus Christ. It's not that he's not forgiving. It's that he wants us to avoid the need for forgiveness in this area because it's so devastating. If you're here this morning and you have stepped into a degree of sexual immorality that would be described as adultery or on par with adultery, what I don't want you to do this morning is leave thinking that God has become an avenger against you and you have no hope. Because Scripture equally emphasizes that everything God does toward the life of a believer, even if it's his vengeance for your sexual sin, he does it to move you away from unfaithfulness and into his faithfulness. Even God's vengeance on sexual immorality in the life of a believer is an avenue of God's grace and mercy to move you from unfaithfulness to faithfulness. It's just that the Bible says you don't want to go through that kind of discipline. Avoid it. It's so much better to walk with the Lord. The reason that Paul tells us this aspect of the Lord's character is because when it comes to sanctification in the area of sexual purity, we should do whatever it takes to walk in purity. If you and I believe that God is the avenger regarding these things, we will do whatever it takes. We will not hide from our brother We will not pretend we're better than we are. We will do whatever it takes if we believe God is the avenger of these things. I'm telling you that one of the greatest ways the enemy is destroying the witness of the church right now is through the sexual immorality of its members and its leaders. And I hate that, and yet I fear that for myself and for you. And we have to make sure we're a people that believe that God is the avenger of these things and we will do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. That's hard. That's so hard. But I promise you this, whatever it costs you to do whatever it takes will be far less expensive in your life than if you do not do whatever it takes. We needed to be a people who do whatever it takes. You notice three different times in this passage, God talks about sanctification. This is what he wants for your life. Your sanctification. This is what he's called you to. Your sanctification. This is what you're supposed to do with your body. Your sanctification. You know what that means? In terms of your sexual purity. It means that today you want to take one step forward. In the journey. Of knowing God more. And giving opportunity for shame regret less, minimizing regret, eradicating shame, and giving more opportunity for the glory of God as you know him. That's what sanctification looks like, and that's God's will for your life, your sanctification. Now, God wrote this to us. And so I believe that we need to hear this message about sexual purity. But I suspect as I have spoken this message to you from God's word, that the Holy Spirit may have also been talking to you about other areas of sanctification. Maybe he is prompting your heart in the area of sexual purity. And you need to bring something to the light. You need to start doing whatever it takes. You need to take a step forward. You need to start minimizing your regret and your shame. Maximizing the opportunity for God's glory. It's possible that God's also brought to your mind, maybe you're dealing with your finances. Maybe your relationship with your wife or the relationship with your husband. Maybe how you're you're raising your kids and disciplining them. Maybe God's brought to your mind some integrity issue in your workplace. Maybe he's prompted you to think about, I'm not being sanctified in the area of sharing the gospel. I haven't shared the gospel with anybody lately. The fact is, when you talk about God's will for your life and we all understand what he's said, his spirits can be talking to each one of us about what that looks like. Because every one of us are experiencing threats against our relationship with the Lord. And we need to submit those to the Lord so we can know him more. So I just want to encourage you this morning. Whatever is on your heart right now, You don't do it, you're not rejecting me. You're rejecting God who gave his Holy Spirit to you so you might walk in sanctification. Wherever you are right now, maybe you're in the midst of deep shame in your relationship with the Lord. Maybe you're at a place you feel very close to him. Wherever you are on that spectrum, do you recognize that all of us stand in the same place of having enormous need for the mercy and grace of God. We all need to excel even more. We all need to take a step forward today, all of us. So what that means for you bringing it to the light, that means for you doing whatever it takes, that means for you taking a step forward so that there's less regret, whatever that means as the Spirit of God is speaking to you, respond. Respond. That's what makes the journey so joyful and the destination so preferable. Don't miss that opportunity.